0: Good morning. This is called the Bible. I hope you've read it. I hope maybe you've read portions of it. Maybe some of you have read all of it multiple times. It's an important book to read. Even if you don't follow Jesus, it's an important book to read. It contains stories about humanity it contains stories about ethics. It contains stories about great loss, great triumph, great adventure. It tells stories of men and women of old and accomplishments they had. And I hope you are reading this, regardless of where you are with Jesus. And now, I'm a pastor, so I say I'm biased. I want you to read it. And in fact, if you don't have a copy of the Bible or a copy that you can understand, this is the Bible that's in your seat back. You're welcome to take it. You will not be stealing from church. All right, you've been given uh, permission. You can take this out of the seat back and take it home. It's written. It's a translated in a way that you might understand. Sometimes we have Bibles, but we don't understand what they say because we're reading a translation that we don't understand. So take this if you need it. If you prefer a digital copy, I would encourage you to download the Version Bible app. Just go to the App Store, type in uh, the Bible, and it's going to be the number one Bible app. Uh, that you can find. So I would encourage you to download that if you would prefer to have the Bible digitally with you all the time. So like I said, I'm a pastor, I want you to read this, but listen to what one secular thinker has said recently about the Bible and he doesn't even follow Jesus. He says, it's not that the Bible is true, it's that the Bible is the prerequisite for the manifestation of truth, which makes it far more than just true It's a whole different kind of truth. And that's not just literally the case. It can't be otherwise. It's the most important book that you will ever read, especially if you follow Jesus. So take it if you need it and read it. Here at Oklahoma Christian Church, you see, we believe in the Bible. We believe the Bible was inspired by God and is without error. That's where we stand. That's our part of our statement of faith. In fact, if you want to know more about kind of the essentials of our faith, what we believe, you can go to our website, click beliefs, and you can read through and familiarize yourself with the, the core principles that we believe here. But this is one of them, that we believe in the power of Scripture. Another book that we recommend to you, it's not in replacement of the Bible. It's a companion study to Scriptures. It's this Quest 52 book. If you've been with us at any point during the year, you've heard us talk about this. If you're new today, get a copy of this. It's in the lobby and we're just reading a chapter a week and it's all focused on Jesus. 52 weeks pursuing Jesus because we believe that will change our lives. Regardless if we've been traveling with Jesus for decades or for minutes, reading about him will change our lives. So pick up a copy of this and just jump in the week that we're on. And today we're going to look at Who were social influencers for Jesus? Fitz uh, teed us off at that last week looking at Nicodemus. We're going to continue in that theme today, but we're going to look at someone in an entirely different status in society. And we're going to look at a story that I think if we allow it, will completely change our minds and renew our spirits and hopefully give us a clearer vision, a clearer perspective of just how powerful the love of Jesus can be. And rather than me trying to paint a story with my words, I would like to show you the story this morning. We're gonna watch a clip from a multi-series TV show called The Chosen. And it it illustrates just a retelling of what might've happened when Jesus was interacting with this woman that we're gonna read about in John chapter four today. So if you wanna go ahead and turn to your Bible and be ready, John chapter four is where we're gonna be. But let's watch together and then we'll unpack what really happened in this moment. This way, friends. I'm sorry, but the
1: map shows that Jezreel is two miles southeast of here, and is met by a road east to the Jordan. We need to adjust our course 30 degrees We're to... not going to the Jordan. We're going through Samaria. Are you telling a joke? There's a place that I want to stop. Plus, it makes our journey shorter by almost half. And our odds of violent attack are more likely by double. <laughs> is that an exact figure? Forgive me, teacher, but it's safer to go around Samaria by way of the Jordan and not the Decapolis. Would you join me for safety reasons? But Rabbi, you are Samaritans. Good observation, Big James. What's your point? Rabbi, these were the people that profaned our temple with the dead bones. They, they hated they us. They fought against them. us with the Seleucids in the Maccabean Wars. I haven't even spoken to a Samaritan. And we destroyed their temple a hundred years ago. And none of you here were present for any of these things. Listen, if we're going to have a question and answer session every time we do something you're not used to, it's going to be a very annoying time together for all of us. We'll be fine. And if we get attacked, Simon will be happy to show us what to do. Absolutely. Right. So follow me. Salome's bread last night Master, we need to go into town for food We can use the gold left for us at the fountain Very well There's a town about a mile west Sicar You all go I'll wait here Someone should stay with you In case I'm all right Meet me at that well when you come back
2: Told me everything I've done! Oh, he must be the Christ! Rabbi, we got food. What would you like?
1: Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Wait a minute. You told her? Mm-hmm. And she can tell others? What food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work.
2: Y- you told her who you are. Mm-hmm.
1: So does that mean, it means we're going to stay here a couple of days. It's been a long time of sowing, but the fields are ripe for harvest. And so it's time. Let's go. Yes! <laughs>
0: such a beautiful retelling of that story of the woman at the well if you grew up in church you've you've grew up hearing that story but for some of you that may be new today uh one of jesus's disciples when they're getting ready to head to samaria he kind of looks at jesus and says i've never even spoken to a samaritan Right now, you're not going to find that line in scripture, but it's very likely that the disciples had never interacted with Samaritans Samaritans in their life. And so this was a revolutionary idea. So John goes from possibly never speaking to a Samaritan to writing 42 verses about a Samaritan woman in his gospel. I think this story changed him. And we want to talk today about what that might have looked like. If you wanna read the full account, if you wanna actually read it, you can go to John chapter four and the whole story of the woman at the well is there. But I wanna spend our time looking at how John ends the story, how he concludes kind of what happened as a result of Jesus' interaction with this woman. So in John chapter four, verse 39, John says this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Her testimony was, he told me everything I did. So John says, here's what happens as a result of Jesus' interaction with this woman that many people in the town believed in him because of her testimony. That sounds like a simple statement, right? Jesus met a woman, people changed. We see that in the New Testament constantly. But there's so much rich material packed into this one verse. Let's look at it. Here's here's the first thing. Here's the first radical part about this verse is that Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman. Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman. Now, to understand the importance of that, you have to know that the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. They did not associate with one another. In fact, when Jews traveled, they would go around Samaria. That's why they were like, we don't have to go through there. We can go around. And Jesus says, no, we're going to go through Samaria. They were enemies. The disciples did not want to spend time in Samaria. Maybe you've heard Jesus' teaching on the good Samaritan, You ever heard that phrase? We've actually adopted some of those things into our laws. We call them the good Samaritan laws. Here's the truth. That's an oxymoron in that time period. Good and Samaritan cannot have been in the same sentence. And so the disciples are they are, they're like, what is Jesus up to? He's going to go to Samaria, a place that they had never been. And then you compound that with the fact that he's not just going to talk to a Samaritan. He's going to talk to a Samaritan woman no jewish man would have been found associating with a with a uh, samaritan woman and then add on to that the fact that this woman has a checkered past and so jesus goes into samaria to speak to a samaritan woman who none of his disciples and no one of any good standing in that time period would have been found speaking to so just a simple statement right? many samaritans believe jesus talked to a samaritan woman. Talked earlier about the Bible being God's inspired word. I, I think this is actually one of the greatest pieces of evidence that says that the Bible is authentic, authentic and not made up. Because you see, if you were going to make up a story about the Messiah, if you're going to make up a story about Jesus and how he's going to save the world, you wouldn't have chosen a Samaritan woman to be a messenger. If you were writing that story and you were going to make it up to try to convince people that Jesus is who he said he was, you wouldn't have chosen a Samaritan woman to be your eyewitness account. And yet we see regularly in scripture that Jesus calls the outcast and women to follow and to spread his good news. And so by going to Samaria, he destroyed ethnic, religious, geographical, social, and gender barriers of his day. And I think here's a point he was teaching the disciples. He's saying, my love cannot be contained. The love of Jesus can't be contained. Think about it. Who did the disciples think Jesus was for? Them. They didn't think the Samaritans deserved the love of Jesus. Why would we go there? Those are your enemies, Jesus. And he's illustrating, no, 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 you don't understand. I can't be contained by any boundary or barrier you place on me. Because my love is for everyone. So he has to go into Samaria. He speaks to a Samaritan woman. I had the opportunity recently to sit under some teaching. Uh, and this gentleman was kind of sharing with us the four uses of Jesus's love kind of four words he used to describe Jesus's love and you see the love of Jesus is unconditional when Jesus spoke to this Samaritan woman what was he saying he was saying your life your sin is not going to keep me from loving you it's unconditional it didn't matter that she was sinful he still loved her he still loves you, and he still loves me. It's unconditional his love. You wrecked your marriage. He still loves you. You looked at pornography this morning. He still loves you. You had an abortion. He still loves you. You think that you're better than others. He still loves you even in your stubborn pride. You battle an addiction. He still loves you. You lost your job. He still loves you. Do you see the point? His love is unconditional. It's not just unconditional. His love is actually uncomfortable. You ever thought about Jesus' love being uncomfortable? Right? He loves us in the places that we don't think we can be loved. In our doubt, in our fear, in our shame. Jesus loves us even there. I think maybe that's why his disciples were so worried about him speaking to this woman. Because it made them uncomfortable. She doesn't deserve his love. And yet he's going to love her anyway. It made her uncomfortable. Why was she a little bit, I don't know if you caught that, seemed a little snarky, a little, a little, you know, arms distance from Jesus. Up to that point, she learned to be weary of men. And so here's this random man she knows nothing about. And yet he says, no, 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 no. I know who you are. And yet I still love you. Jesus love can be uncomfortable. His love is unending. His love is unending. Now he's at a well and he says, can you give me a drink? And she's like, well, no, basically, or she just ignores him. And he's like, well, I would give you living water if you ask me. He's not talking about physical water. He's talking about spiritual things. He's saying, if you believe in me, something will well up inside of you that will result in eternal life. It is unending if you choose to surrender to me. And that invitation is open to us as well how many of us still find ourselves being the woman at the well every day? We go out in search of significance. We go out in search of love or respect or fame or power only to come up thirsty again because none of those things will satisfy. None of those things bring forth life within us. And Jesus says, no, my love will. Right. All the love she'd experienced in her life up to that point had come to an end. And Jesus says, my love is unending. I know what you've done but I'm offering you life, eternal life. Have you ever experienced the joy of Jesus welling up inside of you? Have you ever experienced his love just welling up? Sometimes it comes out in the form of tears where we just can't contain what he has done for us. Sometimes that joy wells up in the form of hands up and worshiping. Sometimes it it wells up inside of us in silence and thankfulness for what he's done. That is The spring of living water within us, that leads to eternal life. By talking to this woman, Jesus demonstrates that his love is undeserving. The disciples didn't want to go to Samaria. Why? Because they truly didn't think those people deserved Jesus' love. They are our enemies. If anything, Jesus, you should destroy them. I wonder if we ever think there's people that are undeserving of Jesus' love. Can you think of someone or a group of people that you would say they don't deserve the love of Jesus? And he would say, that's the point. The greatest love cannot be earned. It isn't deserved, it's given. And so at this moment, this woman is, he doesn't say these exact words, but this is what is happening. She is experiencing the love of God. In spite of her circumstances. And the same can be true for us. We can experience the unconditional, uncomfortable, unending, and undeserving love of Jesus if we would just surrender to Him. Let me ask you this question. Who is your Samaritan woman? I use air quotes. If you're, if you're listening to this, I'm using air quotes. Who is your Samaritan woman? Not a a literal purse woman, metaphorically. Who is a person you cannot envision yourself sitting down and having a conversation with? Who's maybe a group of people that you have avoided your whole life? Can I challenge you that maybe that's exactly the place you need to go? Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. Maybe we are called to reach people who are different than us. There's Samaritan women all around us in this community. And I hope we become more comfortable interacting with the Samaritan women in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our family, in this very church building. I hope we learn to to begin to reciprocate the love of Christ. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We'll never attain that. But we can work toward it, toward loving people unconditionally, even if it makes us uncomfortable. And that we don't we don't just cut them off when they do something wrong. We don't make them earn it. We just give it away because it was never ours to hold onto. This is a, a personal conviction of mine. I, I don't know if you share this as well, but I hope we become more comfortable sharing the message of Christ with people who don't look like us, think like us, believe like us, or behave like us. I hope I become more comfortable sharing the good news of Christ with people who are different than me. I don't don't know if you know this, but people aren't going to get easier to love. You might have experienced that in your life. The more divided people grow, the the more difficult it's going to be to love them. And yet that's what we are called to do. And what does that require? It requires us to surrender more and more to the love that Christ has shown to us. That way we can show it to the world. People aren't going to get easier to love. And my personal conviction is if I don't get better, if I don't work harder at trying to love people just as Christ loved me, then I'm going to experience some increasing tension in my faith life over the coming years. And what I've got to do is just surrender and realize and remember what Paul told me in Romans 5, 8, that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't once we got our act together and figured things out. He loved this woman even while she was a sinner. And so I hope I get more comfortable sharing the love of Jesus with others in my life. And so Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman. That is powerful. We could stop there. There's a lot of truth in that, that we should take away. But that's not where it stops. You see, it says many Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Here's another fascinating truth in that, that verse. People listened to this woman. People listened to this woman. Think about it. What would have compelled anyone in her community to listen to anything she had to say? It wasn't like she had a great reputation. It wasn't like people were lining up to hear her teach. But she runs back into her community and starts telling them all about Jesus and they listen. That is powerful. You see, many Samaritans believed in him because of, scripture says, her testimony. Many Samaritans believed in him because of her testimony. And what was her testimony? Come and see a man that, has, that told me everything I ever did. Why was that important to her? Because she knew what she had done and how that had caused disgrace in her life. And she's saying, he knows everything I did, and yet he talked to me. He loves me, even despite the things that I did. She didn't run into town screaming, let me tell you everything I know. Jesus revealed a lot to her in that moment. He he told her he knew Jacob, where she could find living water, that he was the Messiah. He, He gave her a lot of truth. She didn't run into town saying, let me tell you everything I know that you don't know do you think they would have listened? If she'd ran into town saying, hey, let me tell you something I've learned, they would have said, what could this woman know that we don't already know? You see, it was her testimony that, that compelled people to believe that the Messiah may be there. I think growing in knowledge is fantastic. I'm a teacher by trade. Right now we're listening and we're learning. But let me ask you, what good is more knowledge if you don't act on it? What good is more knowledge if we don't act on the knowledge we have? She ran into town telling them what she had experienced. She didn't know everything. And if she had tried to say that, I think they would have rejected her. She chose to share her testimony in that moment, not her knowledge. And so we as believers should be growing in knowledge. But if we're not acting on what we do know, what good is the additional knowledge? It just inflates us. It puffs us up. Let me ask you, what's more compelling to a lost world? How much we know or how much Jesus has changed us? What's more compelling to a lost world? A group of people who claim to have more knowledge than other people or a group of people who say, you know what? I was once this way and now I'm different. And Jesus is the result of that. He's the cause of that. What's more compelling? I think the world will find it much more compelling if we just share how Jesus has authentically changed us than running around telling everything that we think we know that they should know. Yes, we should grow in knowledge, but we better act on it. And so, my encouragement maybe to you this morning is if there's something you need to do with the knowledge you have, go do that. Maybe put down the latest book you're reading or turn off the latest podcast and go do what you know you ought to do. Is there someone you need to forgive? Go work on that. Is there someone you need to ask forgiveness from? Go and work on that. Is there somewhere or someone you need to serve? Go and do that. You see, act on what you know. That's what this woman did. She went and shared what she knew. And as a result, people believed in Jesus. And that is powerful. So let me ask you, what are you sharing with others? What do you share with others? Do we simply go out of this place and share all the knowledge we have? Or do we share how Jesus is renewing our mind every day? Do we share our opinions about this or about that? Or do we, sh- do we share how Jesus shapes the very thoughts we have? Here's one that might hurt. Do we p- share our political opinions with more zeal than we do the love of Jesus? Some of us may even try to take on the role of the Holy Spirit and convict the world of sin. That's his job. Our job is to tell the good news and let the Spirit convict people of sin. But some of us wanna take on the role of the Holy Spirit and tell everybody everything they're doing wrong. It's just not our place. I think this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. You'll recognize this passage. It's not gonna be on the screen. It's used in weddings all the time, even though it's not a wedding verse Paul says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Be like a guy walking around in your office, clanging cymbals all day. That guy is not compelling. He is annoying. You don't want to be anywhere near him. Paul says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship so that I can boast, but do not have love, I have gained nothing. We act on what we know and we share the love that Jesus has given us that has transformed our lives. And that is compelling to the world. If you've been through Rooted, you know what to do. There you go. If you can't woo, I'll give you an opportunity. May 10th, we're gonna launch the next session of Rooted and I think you should join in. Right There's some enthusiasm in that. May 10th, you can go online and sign up. But we just completed our most recent session of rooting. We had 50 people that, that experienced this together. And I got to lead one of the small groups. I got to facilitate one of the small groups. And it was great for my soul just to to kind of just invest in some people and spend time with them. And I got permission to share a story. So don't think if you share something with me, I'm gonna come up here and tell everybody about it, Okay. But one of the guys in my group was sharing his story. Part of the experience you go through in Rooted is to share your story, to get used to that. And he was sharing and a lot that he shared, but something that really stood out to me is he said, I started smoking pot when I was 13. And he's in his early 40s now. And so that's a decades long habit or addiction. And he got baptized a little over a year ago, maybe a little bit longer. But he said, that was just such a stronghold. I could not give that up. And he said, I just kept feeling convicted about it. That's called the spirit, convicting him and wanting him to make the change that he knew he needed to make. There was something in the way of his relationship with Jesus. And so in November, he gave it up. He's like, I'm giving up this habit. And as of February, when he shared this story with me, he had been three months sober from that habit, which is beautiful. But then he shared something that he probably didn't think anything about, but it it compelled me and it has stuck with me. And he said, I sell my plasma to buy weed. He said, that's how I fund my habit. And he said, well, I still I still sell my plasma, but now that's what I use to give to the church. And I thought, that's it. That's transformation. Does he know everything about the Bible? No, but he's acting on what he does know. He's following the convictions that the spirit is putting within him. Right, what's more compelling to his wife and to his family, who's yet to join him here at church. What's more compelling to her that he goes home and says, here's what I learned about the Bible and how you need to change. Or does he say, hey, you know that decades long habits that's wreaking havoc in our marriage? I'm letting that go. And Jesus has given me the power to do that. What's more compelling to his coworkers that he goes to them and says, hey, I can debate you on the book of Revelation. Like that's gonna change their life. Versus, hey, you guys know I've had this habit. It's gone. And it's not because of my own power. It's because of Jesus sent me. You see, that's compelling. Acting on what we know is compelling to a lost world. When this woman ran into town and said, come see a man that told me everything I ever did and he still loves me, they were compelled by that. I think if she had ran in and said, let me tell you everything I know, they would have rejected her. I encourage you to share with others how Jesus is changing your life share the authentic transformation you are experiencing as a result of spending time with Jesus. And some of us have traveled with Jesus for longer than others. And you may be sitting, I I don't have anything to share. I've lived a pretty good life. I'm not changing anymore. I was once this way. Now I'm this way. I'm done. I think maybe there's more to the story. If you're listening, you're like, I don't have anything to share with someone else. Find somebody to talk to and they may be able to draw something out of you that you can offer to the world. So Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman, people listened to her and then here's the important part of the whole verse. People believed in Jesus. The story isn't really about her as much as it is about Jesus and him sharing the good news that he is the savior of the world and he's entrusting her with that message to share with other people. Right, John says, many Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And then in verse 42, here's how he concludes the whole story. He says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman and people listened to her. And as a result, people believed in Jesus. I think this was such a compelling story that John could not avoid writing it down and asking this woman, tell me what happened, asking Jesus, tell me what happened. You know, some of us were once the woman at the well, right? Some of us were once people who sought after other things in this world and Jesus met us there transformed our lives. He came from heaven to earth and lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. Died a death that we deserved. Rose from the grave to promise us eternal life if we would surrender to him. And so maybe you're listening today and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm actually still the woman at the well. Is it possible you could actually follow Jesus and still be in that same spot? It's possible. Maybe you've not dealt with some of the things in your life that you need to deal with. I encourage you to do that. Maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus. Maybe today's your day to do that. You can't ex- you can't experience all this without first surrendering to Jesus. So I offer that invitation to you today that maybe you need to come to a place where you realize you're going to continue searching and you're going to continue being thirsty until you surrender to Jesus. But I want to leave you with this thought This morning, let's contextualize this a little bit. Let's let's put ourselves into this story a little bit. It says, many Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And her testimony was, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Let's fill in some blanks. Let's put ourselves in that woman's shoes. How many people in your family might believe in him if you would just share your testimony? If you would just share how Jesus has changed you? Not all the knowledge you have, there's a place for that, but how Jesus is authentically transforming you. How many people in your family might come to believe in him? How many people in your neighborhood might come to believe in Jesus if you would share with your neighbors how Jesus has changed you? How many people at your work might come to believe in Jesus if you would just share how he has transformed your life? How many people in this community those thousand people that attended Spring Fest, there's thousands and thousands of more of them. How many of them might believe in Jesus if we were people who were just willing to share like the woman at the well did, how Christ has transformed us. How amazing would that be? I hope we would aspire to be like the woman at the well. I don't think any one of Jesus' disciples would have ever thought, I hope I can be like that woman in that moment but I hope we become like her, someone who is willing to run out and to share. Come and see and experience what I've experienced in Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, church. Stand with me. We're gonna sing a song where we're gonna declare that we are the redeemed and that he is our defender. And if you need to surrender to Christ, we have people at our Next Steps area that can help you. Maybe you just need to sing and declare that you are willing to share with the whole world That he is the way, the truth, and the life.